This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it because God is on his throne and he is in charge of this universe. Let's come around God's word and let him open a door of hope for us each hour. The world may not have any peace, but the Lord who lives within us grants us his peace. In this hour, everybody must do their own research and engage in critical thinking. Moral relativism and identity politics are deceptive, and many people are lost with no definite direction. A recent shocking poll said that there's a great rise in the number of persons who have no religious affiliation whatsoever. They're just drifting. I believe we're living in the last days of world history, leading up to the second coming of Jesus. So we've got to be awake and alert. One of the signs of the last days is the shocking immodesty and degradation of women. It's a strange irony because our times are supposed to be all about emancipation of women and the empowerment of women. However, despite strides made in recent generations concerning women's rights and equality, both women and men have never been in a more desperate need for excellent role models. And thankfully, we can find those role models here in the Bible. Young people in particular are desperately in need of role models and certainly Two of the best female examples from the pages of the Bible are Ruth, a Gentile, and Queen Esther, a Jewish heroine. The Bible gives us a number of female deliverers in Israel. Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron, the prophetess Deborah, and the housewife Yael, all were instruments in the salvation of their people during perilous episodes of history. Esther is counted among the prophetesses of Israel. Much has been made of her beauty. The truth is, she was trained how to beautify herself. Even a plain-looking woman can learn how to make herself look attractive. I appreciate the commentary on the book of Esther by Marianne Farnham, an English Victorian Baptist. She was an educator, journalist, and lecturer at a time when Women were not expected to enter public life. Miriam Farnham wrote a woman's sermon to other women in which she asked, what is women's duty? Well, many modern women would laugh her to scorn, but she wrote that a woman's duty is to be gentle, true, devoted. Her duty is to be as strong as it is within her to be and to be as beautiful as she can possibly be. She wrote, it's to be a discreet keeper at home, a willing performer of out of sight duties, a helpmeet to a man, a mother in Israel, I like that, and a handmaiden of the Lord. Well, that bit about being a handmaid of the Lord has endless possibilities outside of the home, by the way, and in distant faraway lands, if need be. While those words are biblically correct for all time, they are cringeworthy for the politically correct of our times. However, Esther was more than a pretty face. She was willing to sacrifice position, fame, and even life itself for godly principles and for a higher goal 
to save her people. She also knew how to conduct herself and to speak wisely in an atmosphere of political correctness in her day. Esther 4.14 is the famous verse containing her commission to intercede on behalf of her Jewish people. Her relative Mordechai told her solemnly, For if you altogether keep silent at this time, then shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from some other place, but you yourself will perish. And who knows if you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That's a word for all of us. Esther's bravery and the courage of her intercessory handmaidens inspired seven of us intercessors to go on a prayer journey into biblical Persia, modern-day Iran. And while in Hamadan, we visited the actual synagogue, which still stands, where both Esther and her relative, Mordechai, are buried. And God gave us many divine appointments during our very purposeful journey as the Lord's messenger girls and Bible women. Esther's story is a proverbial rags-to-riches saga. She won a crown and a kingdom while also becoming the savior of her own people. Her great opportunity became a test to see if she would be more loyal to God than to position and fame. In Shushan, Iran, we visited the ruined palace of the king of Persia, Queen Esther's royal husband. The foundation stones of the king's throne were covered by weeds and wildflowers a stark reminder that kingdoms come and go, but the throne of our God is established forever. Esther was a real-life Cinderella who knew how to wait upon God, to be bold, and to be totally led by the Holy Spirit. She arose in the 5th century BC in a Persian empire that stretched from India to Ethiopia. And in the book of Esther, the age-old problem of anti-Semitism once again rears its ugly head. You see, the Jewish people were scattered throughout the Persian Empire, and a plot to destroy them was hatched by a fanatical anti-Semite named Haman. Boo. We're supposed to say boo, the Jews are, whenever Haman's name is mentioned, because Jewish people deride his memory. Unfortunately, Haman was the king's viceroy and a descendant of Israel's ancient enemy, the Amalekites and the Amalekite king, Agag. Perhaps Haman was offended by just one Jewish man, Mordechai, who had refused to bow down to Haman. So Haman connived to persuade the king to issue an edict to disterminate all the Jews throughout the empire. That's the irrationality of anti-Semitism. Esther fasted for three days and nights, interceding on behalf of her people, and she resolved to risk her life because to approach the king uninvited in those days was a capital offense. But mercifully, in the providence of God, the king extended his golden scepter to her, and Esther was accepted with great favor in the king's court. And her bravery encourages us to believe that when a crisis develops, God will grant us wisdom, grace, strategy, and favor. When we step out in faith at the Lord's leading, 
The way is made clear and doors open. The king's response was amazingly generous. He promised to give Esther even up to half of his kingdom. But she did not make her petition known immediately. She possessed great restraint and a sense of timing. That's something very valuable to learn, and it involves the Holy Spirit fruit of self-control and following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, the name Esther itself means something hidden. The Gemara says that the name Esther is derived from the Hebrew root to hide and refers to Deuteronomy 31.18, where God says, On that day I will hide my face from you. Fascinating because the name of God is also hidden in the text. Well, she was a secret follower of the living God. Like Nicodemus in the New Testament, you may be a secret believer, but eventually the truth will come out for such a time as this. According to the sages, Esther and Mordechai were from the tribe of Benjamin, descendants of Israel's first king, Saul. Now, this fact is very significant because Haman was descended from King Agag, as I said, whom King Saul had foolishly spared against God's orders. But now Esther and Mordechai have an opportunity to correct Saul's mistake and weakness by being the agents of the downfall of Agag's descendant Haman and Haman's sons. Now Mordechai had carefully warned Esther that if she herself failed to act on their behalf, deliverance would come for the Jewish people from someone else. And I believe that's a word that remains true up to this very moment. If we Christians don't pray for and support Israel at this time on the other side of the Holocaust, God will raise up others to protect the Jewish people, but we ourselves will perish. Many years ago, God spoke to me in a dream that I must stand with the Jewish people when all the nations turn against Israel before the Great Tribulation. Also, the name Esther in Hebrew is Hadassah, which means myrtle. And I'm told that the leaves of the myrtle tree only yield their fragrance when they're crushed. And so Esther ran the risk of being crushed by approaching the king's throne. But she had already resolved, if I perish, I perish. Therefore, in her humility and brokenness, Esther was fragrant to God and to the king. She was wisely aware that she lived in the king's palace only by divine appointment. But as queen, she was uniquely positioned to influence the king. It's fascinating that some Christian theologians question the inclusion of the book of Esther in the canon of scriptures because God's name is not overtly mentioned once in the text. Yet, his name is encoded in the text just as his presence is everywhere. The rabbis explain that Sometimes God intervenes with miracles, such as the wonders experienced by the Jewish people during the Egyptian plagues and the splitting of the Red Sea during their exodus. But the sages say that most of the time God works behind the scenes in a hidden way. And although God's name does not overtly appear in the book of Esther, as a result of the use of acrostics, the name of God and other names for God are hidden no less in the text than eight 
times. The scribes sometimes presented the acrostics with letters in bold characters standing out. This enabled the reader to recognize the name of God there. You see, God may hide his face, but he has promised always to watch over the destiny of the Jewish people. And Esther and Mordecai believed that the Jewish nation was indestructible. Meanwhile, she received what could only be a divine strategy to invite the king and Haman to a banquet. And also in the meantime, the king could not sleep. He asked for the royal records to be read, and he learned that Mordecai had foiled a plot to assassinate the king. But Mordecai had never been properly rewarded. This teaches that in life we may go unrewarded, but the Bible encourages us to endure hardness and to remain faithful to our calling because the Lord is a God of justice. He takes note of everything. The king was now very concerned to put things right, so he summoned Haman to ask what should be done for the man whom the king delighted to honor. Of course, being self-centered, Haman was only capable of seeing honors heaped upon himself. The Bible wisely teaches us that we should make a habit of esteeming others better than ourselves. But Haman greedily suggested the highest honors. But to his utter shock and dismay, the king replied, Well then, go immediately and perform these honors for Mordecai the Jew. Well, Haman was mortified himself, but he had no choice but to put the king's robe on Mordecai and parade the Jew on the king's horse throughout the streets, proclaiming, This is how the king honors the man in whom he delights. Later, devastated, miserable Haman went home to his wife Jeresh, another anti-Semite who prophesied that Haman would surely fall before Mordecai. Now, according to Jewish commentaries, Haman's wife was a sorceress. She had already convinced Haman to prepare gallows to hang Mordecai. But the Jewish nation can't be exterminated. The Jews have a very significant role to play in world history in the future, in the last days. They must be resettled in their own land to welcome back King Messiah, even Jesus himself. Now Esther moved with the unction of the Holy Spirit. The timing to expose Haman was not right at the first banquet, so she planned a second banquet. Up to this point, the king had no idea that his queen was Jewish. But now Esther reveals to the king dramatically that I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter. Well, the king was in total shock. Like Nathan the prophet who confronted King David after David had sinned, Esther could have accused the king. She could have said, Thou art the man who signed this edict. But instead, she dramatically pointed at the villain Haman, saying, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Well, the king was so enraged that he left the room to cool down. But soon he returned, finding Haman groveling for mercy on Esther's couch. So the king shouted, will he also even molest the queen? And so the king ordered Haman to be hanged upon the very gallows he had constructed for Mordecai. Also, the king reversed his former edict against the Jews 
And this is what the holiday of Purim is all about. In order to choose the date for the destruction of the Jews, Haman had cast lots called Purim. So the word Purim is plural, and indeed, there have been many so-called Purim pogroms throughout the history of the Jewish people. There have been multiple plots through the histories to annihilate them. But the God of Israel has decreed otherwise. He still has an end-time purpose for Israel. Esther's people were authorized by the king to fight back, and so they enjoyed a great victory. Did you know that King Jesus has authorized his followers to fight back against our spiritual enemies? Not flesh and blood, but to fight in his name against demonic forces, the causes of sickness, disease, division, and defeat. Never ever forget that. He's given us spiritual weaponry. In Matthew 10:1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them power and authority over unclean spirits so that they could drive them out and heal every disease and sickness. And in Mark 16, 18, Jesus has promised the same power to us, to every believer in his name. Well, it's so fascinating that in an age of women's rights and criticisms of the Bible, that two books in the Bible are named after women, Esther and the book of Ruth. Mordechai, in many ways, was the hero of Purim, but the book is named for Esther because she became, the rabbis say, a female Moses. Like the lawgiver Moses, Esther was privileged to live in a king's palace, yet they both chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. Esther was also a type of the Messiah because, like Jesus, Yeshua, she was willing to forfeit her royal privilege and she was willing to face death for the sake of her own people. Esther became a deliverer of the Jewish people at a very critical time in their history. We'll never know the far-reaching consequences of our actions until eternity. Esther's decision certainly had very far-reaching consequences. Chronologically, she made possible the book of Nehemiah in the Bible. It was Esther's marriage to the king of Persia that ultimately led to the rebuilding of Jerusalem and facilitated the chain of events that culminated in the arrival of Messiah five centuries later. Now, all of us are fallible, prone to weakness, and as human beings, we're prone to shrink from duties or opportunities that are potentially perilous. But when the cause of the Lord and his people demand it, we must take up our cross and follow him. God is looking for intercessors and statesmen believers. Commentaries on the book of Esther point out that God gives us from time to time amazingly strategic positions so that we may use them for his cause and to spread the truth and the gospel. God commissions us for the times in which we live. Mordecai challenged Esther with these words, and who knows but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And was there ever such a time as our time? God is not willing that any should perish, and he loves nations and Israel even better than we do, but he calls us to help individuals and nations. Opportunity is a test of our character. Will we rise to the occasion? Today, there are opportunities for doing good for believers in every place to benefit our families, our cities, our nations, churches, and Israel. The Bible commentaries urge that these opportunities should be seized. Once gone, the opportunities may have passed forever.
generally the opportunities of doing the greatest good are brief. And if opportunities are neglected or delayed, God may send us reminders to take action through our parents, friends, ministers, all who will be like a Morahai challenging us. The thought that an opportunity is given by God has a great motivational factor. In my ministry, many times I've been motivated because I was confident that God was sending or commissioning me. It's also been observed that with every great national emergency, God has raised up a man or a woman equal to the emergency. God called Moses, Joshua, Samuel, Elijah, David, Daniel, Deborah, Esther, and Ruth, Paul, and so forth for special works. Every age and every emergency has had men and women of courage who have risen to the challenge. The apostles met the demand of their age. It might well be said of every man and woman who has positively shaped history, Thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this, like Esther. So let's recognize that just as they had their opportunities, we have ours also. Now, Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, the chief rabbi of Ephrat in Israel, is a great man of our times who has built bridges with the communities surrounding him. He wrote a fascinating article on Esther concerning the difference between an immodest woman and bold women, such as Ruth and Esther, and our great Bible heroines who undoubtedly committed what may have seemed to be immodest acts, for which they were ultimately praised for their boldness and devotion to bring about the redemption of the Jewish people. Both the heroines, Esther and Ruth, think about this, they had compromised their modesty. Esther was in the palace of the king and Ruth was visiting Boaz on the threshing floor at night. Rabbi Riskin wrote that Esther appeared to have been an assimilating Jew. She used her Persian name, derived from the pagan goddess Astarte, rather than her Hebrew name Hadassah. She underwent a 12-month preparatory beauty treatment, seemingly without protest. The rabbi wrote that Esther even agreed not to reveal her Jewishness, and this is apocryphal, but the Midrash even suggested that Mordechai could have been her husband. Imagine that. It was only when Mordechai publicly demonstrated against Haman's decree to annihilate the Persian Jews, in front of the king's gate, he appeared in sackcloth and ashes. And he bid Esther, so to speak, to come out of a closet and go before the king on behalf of her people. The words Mordecai used to convince Esther have reverberated throughout Jewish history. Don't imagine in your soul that you will be able to escape just because you're in the king's palace any more than the rest of the Jews. For if you persist in keeping silent, relief and deliverance will come from some other place, but you and your father's house will perish. But who knows whether you've come to the kingdom, to the royal position for such a time as this. Well, it's a challenge to all of us who are in the king's house, the Lord's house. Ruth was a Gentile convert to Judaism and became the great-grandmother of King David, ultimately an ancestor of Jesus. Unlike Esther, who was born of Jewish parents, but who married a Gentile king, Ruth was a Moabite, and she married a Jew, and she followed her Jewish mother-in-law, Naomi, to the land of Israel. Unlike her more cautious sister, Orpah, Ruth turned away from security and walked alongside her grieving mother-in-law to go back to Bethlehem. 
she was willing to care for an elderly widow, which can be strenuous, in which the New Testament book of James calls pure religion and undefiled to care for orphans and widows in their affliction. Ruth's ancestor Lot had defected from Abraham when he left Israel and had moved to Sodom. But now, Rabbi Riskin said, Ruth repaired Lot's error by becoming a second Abraham. Rabbi Riskin observed that, like our forefather, she left her birthplace and homeland for the land of Israel, for a strange nation, and to worship the God of ethical monotheism. In her own words, she said to Naomi, where you go, I'm going to go to the land of Israel, and your nation will be my nation, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. In the deepest sense, Rabbi Riskin wrote, Ruth entered into Abraham's covenant with God, mentioned in Genesis 12 and 15, and God promised Abraham that he would be the father of an eternal nation, that his offspring would never be destroyed and his descendants would live in their homeland Israel. And through Israel, all the families of the earth would be blessed. The rabbi suggests that this promise was greater than the survival of the Jews in Persia because the promise to Abraham concerned world redemption. The rabbi observed that through her actions, Esther succeeded in gaining a respite in persecution, which is the most Jewish people can hope for while in exile. But Ruth, on the other hand, succeeded in entering into the Abrahamic covenant. And due to her compassionate righteousness and loving kindness towards Naomi, Ruth became the herald of Jewish redemption. Her journey led to the day when the nations of the world will join the family of Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations. I have to hasten to add that Ruth's inclusion in the family tree of the Messiah is no accident as recorded in Matthew 1, 5. Well, the law of Moses states without ambiguity, no Ammonite or Moabite shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of their descendants shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. However, at a time of darkness in Bethlehem and the nation, God found that new Abraham in Ruth the Moabite, who came to dark Bethlehem, radiating the light of her faith in God. And although Jesus was virgin born and not tainted by the sin of his human forefathers, nevertheless, the presence of Rahab, a prostitute, and Ruth from Moab in his genealogy should not shock us. As we meditate on these two surprising women of faith, we can learn to be less judgmental of outsiders. Light can shine from the most unexpected places. Well, to wrap things up today, Queen Esther put on her royal apparel to appear before the king. She was not called by the king. She went unbidden to petition the king. But I want you to know that we all are called by King Jesus to come to him, to come to his throne, to obtain help and mercy in time of need. And he bids us to come. We've all been invited to receive the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, even Jesus, our Savior. To every single person who will come to Him, King Messiah extends, as it were, the favor of His golden scepter and says, you are accepted. And He doesn't grant us just half this kingdom. He gives us all things in the world to come because God the Father becomes our Father 
through receiving the Savior, Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you as I conclude this today. I pray that you will always stay in faith and we say together, Maranatha, the Lord is at hand. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Shalom.